Good morning. Welcome. We are delighted that you are continuing your camp meeting season here at Loma Linda University Church. We join you after what has been a magnificent service full of, of uplifting music and a new insight into a God who is both meek and lamb-like, but reigns in power and majesty. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the tender God of the apocalypse. We're going to move from Revelation to Ephesians as Paul continues leading us through this epistle that has to do with both how the church is to comport itself, how we are to be united as the body of Christ. And today, today we get to talk about how the Jesus event changes not only how we view ourselves, but how we speak and relate to others. So we hope that you Settle in for the next couple minutes as we discuss. Before we do that, we're going to pray, invite God's presence, and then we'll jump into it. So please join me in prayer. God, we want to thank you so much for your kindness, for being tender. But also, Lord, we want to thank you for your might, for being merciful, for being a God that we can turn to in every circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so today, as we think about the words that we speak and how we address both you and one another, we ask that the words from our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. Thank you, and stay with us today and always. Amen. Joey, you were uh, afraid last week because you said that it was not feeling like summer is it warm enough for you now? <laughs> i wish i could take those words back it's it's been warm it's been rainy it's been uh muggy it's been all sorts of summer here in southern california summer weather <laughs> summer weather summer weather yeah um i'm hope hoping that it'll be short and by mid to end september we'll be in the clear and yeah. into fall weather but yeah. who knows mm. we never know here right we never know. This has been, a, I hear we have rain in the forecast and it'll cool down. I feel like now our, our first couple of minutes uh, are giving you weather reports. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's supposed to cool down and we're supposed to get some scattered showers uh, early on next week. But it's a, it's a scorcher today. So yeah, and it just goes to show how much of an impact environment has on us, mm -hmm. right? whether it's the weather or the people who surround us, mm. right? Or which is why community is so crucial mm -hmm. and so important because the people that are in your community have such a huge impact mm. on, on, on the rhythm of, of your life. Yeah, and uh, not, not just on the rhythm of your life, but on your outlook, on how you feel, how you're experiencing um, relationships and how you're relating to one another. Uh, for for a lot of us, uh, we're kind of getting back after a long summer into the swing of things. Yes. Um, there's traffic again in the on the freeways. Uh, school starts next next Monday, so we're we're gearing up for that. Uh, here we've we've had a steady trickle of students already, uh, medical students doing their orientation. And this week, uh, the dental students on Monday start their orientation process, as well as our academies. So amidst the scorcher, the other thing that's really fun is that our campus starts to fill up and buzz again, and it'll continue doing so for for about the next month until until we have uh, the start of the school year here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it is 
it is interesting how different things are with the students mm -hmm. not being on campus. There is, I mean, of course, there's always some programs running even during the summer, but the level of energy with the chapels every Wednesday in our sanctuary, all of those things are things that I look forward to yeah. because it does add to, oh, we're back. This is now, we're back into our season of life. So yeah. it's nice to have that break, to have that summer that's a little bit quieter, but then it's also nice to get back into um, community with so mm -hmm. many different people from so many mm -hmm. different places around mm -hmm. the United States and around the world. And the beauty is it's not all uh, at once. Mm -hmm. So like we said, it's kind of this slow trickle mm -hmm. that gives you a period of adjustment. Um, so you have, like we said, medical students are starting to come in this week. Uh, this next week, we've got our School of Dentistry. We've got our academies back in full swing. Uh, I know you have a middle schooler now and uh, a high schooler. Mm -hmm. So that's that's nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, it's, been it's, thinking, we've been thinking about you. <laughs> it's a big change to be completely out of elementary. And mm -hmm. that's that's very sad because we loved our elementary mm -hmm. experience at L.A. We love Ron, the principal there. We love the, all the teachers that we've had throughout the, the many years that we spent in the elementary. So. It, it does feel this, there's a sadness in letting that go. Mm. Um, and um, excitement, apprehension in stepping into high school as well. And they say those high school years go by really, really fast. Mm. So yeah, we're going to try to soak in every moment with our daughter. Well, the beauty of high school is, yes, Ron is amazing. And we have Ron as a part of our community here. So is Hans. And yeah. so that'll be, that'll be fun at least, uh, You'll get you'll get weekly reports from the principal as far as how your how your girls are doing, and they're doing some cool things. We just we've just got to be. They invited our community pastors to pray with the mm -hmm. teachers and administration at LLA um, this past Monday. We had lunch with them, prayed with them, and talked with them, and then we got a little tour mm -hmm. into some of the renovations they did in the junior high. Man, they have a. They have a technology room and a science lab up there that I think is better than my college <laughs> science lab that I had. I mean, it's, it is pretty, it's pretty incredible what they've done there. And then they're doing a, a similar renovation for the, tech, the technology, mm. the Thai program lab in, in the high school as well. And so they're really investing in innovation and helping students to think in innovative ways, to have a background in design theory, which is a passion of mine. So I'm very excited. I'm mm. excited about the direction our academy is going. It's just it just speaks to how being uh, invested in a community uh, feels and and turns out. And Paul is invested in his community, yeah. um, and that's that's I think one of the things that you continue reading as you you relate to uh, to this particular book to Ephesians. Today we talk about. About many things, but I think the the key point is our words matter. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, one of my one of my professors, a good friend of mine, and kind of one of the pillars in in Adventism, foundational in developing uh, the Gray Bill preamble to our twenty eight mm -hmm. fundamental beliefs. Uh, first president of Lossier University as uh, as a university once it separated from Loma Linda. Uh, recently deceased Dr. Fritz Guy always used to tell us um, language is a precise tool and it must be used precisely. And I think that's that's what Paul is is inviting us to do. It's he's inviting us to be deliberate 
and precise with with our words. So yeah, because like a scalpel, right? It can it can heal, but it mm. can also do a lot of damage mm. if you're not precise. So. Right, right. So that old that old adage, "Stones and sticks may break my bones, but words will never hurt," yeah. actually probably needs some revisiting, at least in Paul's mind. Yeah. Um, the the center of our Christian witness has to do with how we speak to one another. And I found that really interesting because, again, we've, we've said this time and time again, the Pauline corpus of writing is very rich theologically. So you have a lot of theological points that Paul is trying to guide them through. But it's funny that orthodoxy in Paul's mind is more about how you speak mm -hmm. than what you believe. And again, not saying that belief isn't important for yeah. Paul. Paul spends say, the majority of his time trying to parse out what that means. But um, it's funny how our words are elevated to kind of this almost status of priority within within Paul's mind as, as far as it connects to our Christian witness. Yeah, it shows how important this is that Paul, at this turning point in his in his letter, he's been talking about beliefs and mindset mm -hmm. and theology and all of that, really focusing on the importance of unity in the community of faith. But as he now talks about the practical, he turns mm. to the practical instructions. One of the first things that he focuses on is our speech. And I know at 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 times we have um, pitted. Uh, Paul against James, right? Mm -hmm. Saying, oh, James focuses on our practice. Paul focuses on grace. But really for Paul, like you were saying, there is a practice to the faith mm -hmm. that we have, right? Just like there is in, in the book of James. And just like James, he puts a strong emphasis on our tongue, on mm -hmm. our words, right? And what we say, because he recognizes how damaging they can be and how powerfully healing they can be when used in the right way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great connection. And it's, I think, a dichotomy that a lot of us are not comfortable with. Uh, Luther calling James the epistle of straw. Um, for for James and for Paul, I think one of the one of the nuances that has often been missed, both by Luther and by a lot of people that create uh, the separation that you're mentioning, is a linguistic one. Mm. So it has to do with uh, James's understanding or how James would have understood faith and then how Paul would have understood faith. Mm. And linguistically, uh, both would have said faith is the combination of two things. It is the combination of the belief in the grace of that comes through us and is made manifest in Jesus. But that belief then leads leads to actions that are palpable in the lives of people. So our faith doesn't save us, uh, our, but our faith does save other people. Yeah. And for that reason, I think the dichotomy and the division between them, as you mentioned, isn't that clear. Mm -hmm. However, for Paul, I think the, the, real, the real key point is how he starts this section. Now, Paul has been really good. He does this masterfully in the book of Romans, but he'll do this again in Ephesians, in kind of creating this, this division between Gentiles and Jews. Mm. But the point of the division, um, and in Romans, I think, in this passage, it's, it's evident, but in Romans, it, it reaches kind of a new level of brilliance. Mm. The point of the division isn't 
to preference the Jews over the Gentiles, but rather it's to surprise the Jews. Mm. So he starts by giving this critique, and he does this in Ephesians, right? Starts by giving this critique of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And um, and then what he does is he, he says, look, lest you be comfortable with saying that, uh, with, with judging someone as lesser than, uh, you are guilty of the same things. And yeah. so he does this masterfully in, in Romans. And I find it really interesting as he starts uh, in, in our particular passage with uh, which uh, the quarterly uh, focused on verses 17 through 31, he starts by saying, so I tell you this and insist in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Mm-hmm. Well, how do the Gentiles live? And then he says, in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. This, by the way, is almost a carbon copy of the introduction he gives uh, to the book of Romans. Yeah. If you remember, uh, right after the salutations, this sounds really familiar to yeah. Romans one uh, eighteen. And then he says, they darkened their understanding and separated from the life of uh, God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Mm-hmm. Having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. The point that is often missed, both in Ephesians and in Romans, mm-hmm. is that the wrath of God or the punishment of God, and again, Romans, if you're making that connection, and I'd invite our friends to read uh, Romans 18, Romans 1.18 to the end of that chapter. The mistake that we make often is that we think that punishment is a result of sin. Mm. And here it's seen, both here in Romans, Paul is, seen, is seeming to say, that sin is its own punishment. Mm. So it's not like God then says, well, okay, you've, you've committed this, uh, this act that is completely distasteful to me. Um, here's your punishment. Rather, it seems that in Paul's mind, a life in sin is its own punishment. And I find that really, really interesting um, as he is talking to a community that is attempting to gauge what proper Christian behavior is, because that's what this section is about. It's on Christian living. And Paul really steers away, doesn't he, mm-hmm. from inviting us to create or to cast the type of judgment that we think we ought to cast as it pertains to Christian living. Rather, he seems to say, the results of living a amoral or immoral life that's the punishment in itself. Yeah, and that's a powerful point because that's what Paul deals with later in the book of Romans mm-hmm. too when he says, so shall we sin that grace mm-hmm. may abound, right? So should we keep on sinning because we know God's grace can mm-hmm. cover all of it? Well, his point is, no, absolutely not because sin is its own punishment. Mm-hmm. Like you're hurting yourself just like if you drank poison, right? Um, yeah. You know, of course the hospital can pump your stomach and, and heal you. But there is a damage that comes from doing that. Um, And just like the practice of sin, I love how he talks about it's like it's like it builds calluses over Mm -hmm. you. Right. And makes you insensitive to the ways of God. And it darkens your thinking. All of this imagery showing that the way that we think, the way that we perceive and see the world is twisted and warped when we sin. And that leads us to a life of what he talks about sensuality and um and 
indulging in every kind of impurity, being full of greed. That's the natural consequence of our minds being darkened and it turning towards self. And that kind of behavior is ultimately very destructive mm. to any kind of community mm. because that that focus is on self rather than on mm. others, which is why the next verses he talks about putting away those patterns allowing God to renew our minds and then putting on new patterns, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly the, the point. And I find this so fascinating because for the Gentiles, right, um, The as he begins this section, it seems like this section is, is kind of pointed towards people. He's saying, so I tell you this, don't live as the Gentiles do. Mm-hmm. Well, who is he talking to? Well, it, you could surmise that he's talking to the Jewish believers or uh, in in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And what is the Gentile? What is the Jewish complaint mm-hmm. against Gentiles? Well, the Jewish complaint against Gentiles throughout the Pauline corpus is their life is not in line with the standards of moral living that we have as believers in both God and believers in Christ. Their life doesn't speak of that. And that's really easy, right, to, to see and to gauge. You can tell when somebody's life, behavior, patterns uh, are not in line with kind of these ethical standards and norms that we create. So he starts with that. And then the, I'm, I'm just imagining the congregation as a, a, in Ephesus, both Jew and Gentile, sitting there saying, the Jews are saying, yeah, that's what we've been talking about all along, Gentiles. Get it together. Start living like us Jews. And then, then if you re- he has that part of creating our, ourselves anew. And in verse 25, he, he shifts it. And it's like you're back reading wisdom literature in the, in the Old Testament. It's kind of these really, really common and really well-connected uh, linguistic references that he's making, both to, to uh, Wisdom of Solomon, which is a book that they would have read, or to Proverbs, or to other, uh, this this Jewish heritage of wisdom literature. And it's, it's almost like if Paul is saying, yes, this is the issue that the Gentiles have, lest you, lest you become too enamored with critiquing them. Let me now tell you what issues you have. And I think that is so helpful in modulating. We're back to talking about how we speak to one another. It's so helpful in modulating our ways of referring to one another if we recognize that both Jew and Gentile, whoever those may be, in, in your current context now, are both work in, works in progress. And it seems like that is what Paul is driving at, that both, both parts of this congregation, both sides of this congregation, still have work to do. And that, that ought to measure uh, the, the way that they, that, that ought to cause them, I should say, to speak to one another in measured ways. Yeah. That's a that's a powerful point because I was thinking mostly that he was speaking to the Gentiles, but he's speaking to, like you're saying he's speaking to a mixed congregation. It would have been very easy for the Jews to to be like, yeah, sitting up straight and saying, you know, that's that's what, that's what we're saying. You got to be more like us. And then he he makes a point that actually everybody needs to put off their old ways, mm-hmm. and they all need to have God renew their minds, and they all need to put on new ways. Mm-hmm. Jews, Gentiles alike. He doesn't just say uh, to the Gentiles, put off your old ways and put on the ways of the Jews, mm-hmm. right? 
Instead, his focus is the ways that you learned in Christ, mm -hmm. right? And the ways of Christ are revolutionary, not just to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, put on those ways instead. And I love the imagery that he uses. It's it's almost the, the way that he describes um, his your former self, put off your former self, mm -hmm. which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That that imagery of corruption, what popped into my mind was almost like gangrene, you know, mm. like like it's infected and it's rotting from the inside out. He's saying, take that off, cast it aside, put on a new self, mm. right? Put on new ways of doing these. And what are those new ways? Like you talked about, he, he goes through these ethical imperatives that you you would find, like you said, in the book of Proverbs of, of things that you should not do and things that you should mm. do which shows that there is a practice to, the, again, going back to your point, there is a practice to our faith, mm -hmm. right? Um, the term, the, the phrase that we repeat often here is that God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning, mm -hmm. right? There is always effort. There is always action and practice involved in following Christ. Mm -hmm. It's just that those things don't make us worthy to follow Christ. Christ does. And that seems to be the point. I think twenty. I think if you want structurally then to to divide this uh, this passage, uh, seventeen through twenty um, is is kind of this this invitation to Gentiles to actually reassess how they're living. Twenty to twenty four is kind of this invitation to transformation that is extended to the Gentiles. Twenty five and on. Mm -hmm. um, is, is this invitation to Jews to realize that uh, they're not beyond reproach. Think about what he says in, in 26, for you are all members of one body. So mm -hmm. now it's everyone. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the good sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. That is a direct... If you're a Jew, you, you immediately say, oh, this is Solomon. This is, this is proverbial wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so... It kind of it kind of speaks to I think something that happens often in congregations, and I can imagine it happen in congregations such as Ephesus, which are which are divided on on the issue of lifestyle. Mm. So just imagine you have a Gentile who comes in, and um, they've been you know they've they they're coming in. From from one of the banquets that that was had, it's known as a convivium. Um, they come in refusing circumcision. Uh, they come in uh, with with a completely different uh, lifestyle than the Jews had, and so the Jews are looking at them. Mm -hmm. And I can just imagine because I've seen it because I've been this person myself that you see somebody come into your congregation that you know is living in a way that you, that makes you uncomfortable and you then fill yourself up with indignation with we call it this righteous indignation it's this furor this jealousy for for keeping and towing the line and towing the standards and then uh Paul Paul is saying to those Jews wait a second let's analyze <laughs> the root of this anger because if if we're asking uh if we're asking you to consider the possibility that you also are transformed with Christ the way in you uphold the 
ethical mandates of, of our community, what this community has agreed upon, has to look a little differently. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And Paul goes to these very, these are things that I think all of them would agree are the right ways to pray. I think all of us would mm-hmm. agree putting off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor. What I found interesting about the ones that he all picks, though, is these these ethical imperatives, they all seem to be focused on what builds mm-hmm. unity and oneness rather than what destroys mm-hmm. unity and oneness, right? And we would all say these are good to do, but how much do we struggle with all of these, mm. right? I mean, therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members to one bo- of one mm. body. Like, how committed are we to always speaking the truth, not doing the white lies, actually sharing one another? And I, I love how um, McVeigh talks about this, how he says this is not um, this is not permission to just nitpick at every wrongdoing that somebody has done, right? Because again, centered around this is the desire to to build up. But being willing to have those difficult conversations when people, when when you struggle with a person, instead of talking behind their back or complaining about them or letting your behavior change towards them because you don't like what they've done, actually having an honest and open mm. conversation with them, right? Being willing to do that truth and love that that he spoke about in the previous section, this this idea of, of, of I mean, that's hard, mm, right? Yeah, it is. We know it that's is. the right way. And even though we know that's the right way, sometimes we don't trust the other person to be able to handle mm-hmm. the truth, to quote a few good men, right? We feel like they can't <laughs> handle the truth that we're going to give to them. And so we don't, we don't. And he's saying, no, speak truthfully to your neighbor because we are all members of one body. Mm. We're supposed to. We're supposed, we're like family. We we need to communicate with each other. Mm. I mean, that's just one of the many, but how difficult it is to actually live out these things that we say are so important mm. and so true. And this is, I think, what, what is so foundational. It is that Paul, as he always does, masterfully creates a process for this. Mm. Um, a lot of times, again, when we are led by righteous indignation, mm-hmm. we we feel like it is our responsibility to be the gatekeepers of orthodoxy yeah. um, or to be the defenders of God or to be the defenders of what is right or to keep the standards or however we want to phrase it. And I think for Paul, standards are pretty important, but st- but the pursuit of said standards is lived out in a communal process that is preceded by something else. And I love the way McVeigh created this, this image in our minds as to what the preceding part of the process looks like. And so he talks about, and, and Paul talks about this putting off or taking off a, a tunic and putting something else on. Yes. And it was so so interesting that for all that we that we talk about this idea of changing uh, our clothes, it kind of the imagery loses a bit of its bite when we when we fail to recognize how that would have been read uh, by people who only had one yeah. tunic, yeah. Uh, as McVeigh points out, yeah. and how this is 
a a event that that requires stopping celebrating coming together this transformative event is a communal event that precedes uh, the process of quote-unquote holding the standards or living up to these ethical mandates and ethical imperatives so the question has to be then um, as we then pursue uh, standards within our own faith communities has the process of the pursuit of standards been preceded by this putting by this shedding off our old tunics and putting on something new mm. that is a good question i mean going to that imagery i the closest thing that i could when i read that and the closest thing that i could think of was um what happens maybe this is just because school is starting but with back to school mm. right, you buy new uniforms or new clothes for your kids mm -hmm. as they go back to school. And, you know, I don't know how it is in your family of you boys, but with girls, they would come and they would, you know, they, they'd show off what, what their clothes would look like. And, mm -hmm. and there was that, there's an excitement, a newness, mm -hmm. like excited to take off and put on something new. And I just think of this process. I mean, if I only had one tunic, I would be very reluctant to let it go. But what he's saying is, this tunic that you're having, it's like moldy. Mm -hmm. It's like crusting up. It's falling apart. And God is offering you this new thing. And yet, um, sometimes we still cling to the old. Mm. So much so that he has to go through point by point and say, this was the old pattern. The old pattern was um, clinging to falsehood and not speaking truthfully. The mm -hmm. old pattern was letting anger take a hold, a foothold in our heart. The old pattern was stealing and, and focusing on self rather than focusing on giving, right? Taking rather than giving, right? That This was all the old pattern. And yet God is saying, there's, there's this new pattern, this new way of doing things. And yet we still cling to that old mm. way. And I don't know. What what part of that letting go? How much is, is that us? How much is that God? And because he puts right at the heart of the taking off and putting on is the renewing of the, our mind, mm -hmm. which is in the passive form. So it implies that God is the one who renews right. our mind and we're not the ones who renew our right. minds. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. And then um, I think the the process is bookended, right? It, you have this transformation. You have this shifting of what it means to pursue the standards. But even as now you are pursuing different standards, you have this rubric by which the by which you can check mm -hmm. if your pursuit of these standards are living up to this new life that Christ has called you to live. And the pursuit, as you mentioned, is verse. Uh, it starts in verse twenty nine. Mm -hmm. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be that it may benefit those who listen. So yeah. he says, do you want to know if you've really been transformed? You are transformed when your pursuit of standards is one in which you are building up the person that you are engaging and those around you. If that is the case, if your, your discourse is building up both the person and those who listen, then, uh, then that's, that's kind of the litmus test for has my mind really been transformed? Have I have I been able to take off this crusty this crusty robe that I have?
Yeah, and that that goes to the core of Christianity, right? Because at the heart of Christianity is this other centeredness, other centered on God, mm. other centered on others, as famously put by Jesus, love God mm-hmm. and love other love your neighbor, right? Those two are the core and and yet really the old way, the old pattern, the old standards, um, like you said, are focused on love self, mm. right? Protect self, take take before others take from me, right? Make sure that my, my, me and my own are protected. Mm-hmm. It's very natural for us to think this way. I mean, there's even a whole theory about how the universe came to be based on that theory of survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. We're going to fight for our own and which one, whichever one is strongest wins. And yet what God is saying and this is something that we even talked about when we were studying the book of Revelation uh, last quarter, that the way of the Lamb is dramatically opposed to that. It is not the way of manipulation, power, selfishness, taking what is not mine. It is the way of sacrifice, giving, love, compassion, honesty, openness, as Randy has been talking about throughout mm. this whole series. And that is so diametrically opposed to the world that we live in. Is that what makes it so hard to do that? Yes. First off, I think you're. I think you're right. I think the other thing is, we, we, and and you started. You started talking about this earlier, so I, I kind of want to connect how you answered the question already. Um, maybe you just forgot. Um, so you said that often. Uh, being honest and being truthful doesn't mean you have carte blanche to say whatever you whatever comes into your mind, yeah. right? Because a lot of times we do that. We say, I'm going to be brutally honest. Yeah. And what Paul is asking for here is not brutal honesty. <laughs> That's so true. Um, so he's not, he's saying, hey, let go of the little white lies like you said. But the opposite of that isn't brutal honesty. Um, the opposite of that is honesty that builds. Yes. And I think we 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 get into trouble because honesty that builds is gonna require discernment. Yes. And because discernment is kind of operating in this gray area where, and we say this here a lot, uh, discernment forces you to look at situation at situations on a case-by-case merit basis on the merits of that particular situation so there's no fast and hard rule for it whereas brutal honesty or always lying that's really simple to do um if if i want to just speak truth to power i'm gonna just burn the boats and say hey this is how i feel and i if you're if your feelings get hurt, then you need to toughen up. Or on the other uh, on the other end of the spectrum, it's I I don't trust you enough, like you were saying, to yeah. handle the truth, and so I'm going I'm going to try to sugarcoat it and be and be dishonest, even though I know that what I am actually doing is enabling a pattern of behavior that is not healthy, yeah. and so both of those extremes are very easy to follow because they don't require discernment. Yeah discernment and by discernment we're gonna in in i think what paul is telling the church is honesty that builds up is going to require a comfort living in these gray spaces 
And let's face it, we don't like gray spaces, regardless of who you are. Uh, you don't like to live in the gray in the gray because that requires an effort on your part. And let's face it, most of us most of us want to do as little work as possible, both <laughs> in our regular life and in our spiritual life. And Paul is saying here, you there there are value judgments yeah. that the Christian has to make. And we say, well, then is that because I can? There is a there is a critique of this, and the critique is, well, then does that mean that you are the ultimate arbiter? And I think this is where Paul is so brilliant, right? Because he's saying, yes, what you say and how those standards or how that life and community is to be pursued together requires discernment. It requires uplifting honesty. But lest you think you're the ultimate arbitrator of what that looks like. To get to that point of discernment and ultimate honesty, it requires first spiritual transformation. Mm. So Paul says, you achieve the spiritual transformation, the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. Then you achieve discernment. Then you are able to speak truth into spaces in ways that build those spaces up and, and not tear them down. Yeah, and I love that, as you mentioned before, that step-by-step -step process that Paul lays out. It starts with the turning away, recognizing that the old pattern mm -hmm. of life doesn't work. It destroys community. It destroys the thing that we all long for, mm. right? It destroys it. It, it. it destroys us, right? It darkens our minds and it puts us in a place that is, is just destructive to who we are and who God made us to be. So we turn away from it, but we don't immediately turn to putting on the new garment. There is a, it's almost like you took off the old garment You've got to take a shower before you put on the new one, right? And so there is this process that it's a recognition that as you turn away, which is not to say that you've completely taken it all off, but as you're turning away and saying, I want to take this off, it is God that helps you through mm -hmm. that process to taking that off, that old garment, renewing your mind and putting on the new mm -hmm. ways. There is a recognition that God is at the center of this process. Mm -hmm. So I love how you point that out. The other thing that popped into my mind as you were talking was um, when you were talking about the importance of discernment, it reminded me of a quote I read to this, this week by Jim Rohn, and I'm going to butcher it, but he basically says um, that the challenge for humans, for Christians, is um, to be kind without being weak, to be strong without being overbearing, mm. to be, um, to be uh, uh, confident without being arrogant, right? And when I think about that, there, there is discernment, right? There is discernment necessary. Necessary. Being kind doesn't mean that we allow people to run over us, right? There is a strength needed to balance the kind kindness, right. right? There's both. Just like God says, there's grace and there's truth, and they need to balance each other, right? There's justice and there's mercy. Mm -hmm. They need to and as we've talked about very often here, the truth lies in the tension mm -hmm. between the two, in the paradoxical spaces, as you powerfully shared in a message a, a several weeks ago, that, that importance of living in that paradoxical space, that's where we need to line. And it seems like what Paul is saying here is, how do you know where that paradoxical space lies? Well, is this something that is bringing, um, helping to build others up? according to their needs or is it for myself mm. if it's if it's if it's genuinely what the other person needs to build them up then we we are we're typically safe there now often we got we have to be careful there because sometimes when my children do something that I don't like I can criticize them 
and I can think, I can justify what I right. do based on the fact that, well, they needed to know that was wrong, right? right? But how I criticized them or how I, I reprimanded them probably makes an impact on how much of that message actually gets mm. across and how much of the right message gets across. Mm. That it's not just, you are a terrible child and you need to be ashamed. That's not the message I want to go across. I want the message to go across, hey, there's a better way of doing things. Because I love you, I want you to, I want you to live in this better space because it's healthier for you. That's the message I want to get across. But how I share that message has a tremendous impact mm on what message is actually mm. received by the person. So uh, we've been, uh, we've mentioned this before, we've been reading this book, Peacemaker, um, in, in our staff meetings, and he talks about that. He talks about when we speak truth to people, when we, when we confront people lovingly, it needs to be lovingly, which means that we have to take care to speak in a way that the message we intend has the best chance mm. of getting across. Mm. And that takes a lot of effort mm. and work. And it's not as easy as just doing these drive-by shootings of, you know, I, I, I'm angry at you. You're a terrible person. You know, the, the things that we typically do, either that or we avoid telling, talking mm. about it at all. Those are the two ends of the spectrum we live in usually. And he's saying it's got to be in that middle. We have the courage to speak up, but the discernment and love to speak up kindly. Mm. Parenting helps that. Uh, you know where else you learn a lot of that? Um, youth pastoring. <laughs> now, and, and I know you're going to relate to this. Thankfully, this is not something that happens here. Yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> uh, but, but in most other churches that I've been, that I've been a part of, uh, there's, this all, there's this constant tension uh, between people in the community with, I think, the best of intentions, mm. uh, looking at, uh, I'll, I'll give you one example that is, that is always uh, something that most of us are going to be able to connect with, issues of, of dress. Mm. Um, I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, some, of our, some of our youth, particularly some of our, our girls and our, our, as, as they grew, our women, uh, dressed in a way that some of our older uh, church members didn't consider um, appropriate. And for, for most of us, and this is something that I think most of us youth pat that, that have worked with younger people uh, have, have dealt with, the, <laughs> the constant tension was, how do I protect you from this conversation, which is well-intentioned, but which is going to hurt you? Yeah. And um, I think I think that's where the discernment comes in. Yeah. I think the discernment comes in my capacity to create a culture, not just uh, for me as one individual standing here saying, hey, you're not living up to the standards. This is what we do here. You're not doing it. Uh, rather, I'd, I'd be much more interested in creating a culture uh, in which we 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 are honest without being hurtful and what yeah. that means is simply making sure that uh, that our primary that our pri that people understand that the primary propelling force in our culture is to make you 
look and feel and uh, experience God in the best way that you can. Yes. The problem is when you haven't made that clear and then you're trying to have these conversations, there's 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 when when we get sideways and it happens youth pastoring happens parenting um if your your critique or your criticism to use your words isn't then tempered by at least four times as much admiration and adulation and love and care then what the way in that critique in the way in which that critique is received is 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 in a way of abuse and i think we get into cultures that that create spiritual abuse because we haven't mm-hmm. actually thought in ways that that are that are pauline about what it does it mean to be honest without being hurtful and if you look at kind of the current culture and the current climate in christianity a lot of these cultures that promote spiritual abuse have actually uh been propelled by this inability to ask the question what does honesty mean as you are a new creature i know what honesty means there honesty means i'm going to i'm going to tell you what i feel mm-hmm. and how i feel and i'm going to be transparent which mm-hmm. is great uh but is that the way that new creatures understand honesty wow wow which is why i think paul begins chapter 4 with something that we talked about last week in verse 2 be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another Mm. in love, right? Like he's saying that this is the start. This is the start of this process. Before you ever speak truth into somebody else's life, take time to make sure that you're humble, that you're not thinking, overthinking about the goodness of yourself, Mm -hmm. to be gentle, to think better of others, right? To try to seek to understand the other person, Mm -hmm. right? Be patient, be bearing each other. I mean, that he says that's the foundation. That's where every conversation Every difficult conversation should begin with, which is why Jesus says, make sure that you take the log out of your own eye before you address the the splinter in your neighbor's eye, right? In your brother's eye, because he's saying that this process of of taking off the old self, being renewed and putting on the new self, that's not a one-time thing. Mm. It's not like, oh, (laughs) I was converted back in 1978 or whatever. I was converted back there. So now I have carte blanche to just address every single wrong that I see. That's not what it is. That renewal is a continual process. And in every situation, every difficult situation we face, we should start at the beginning examining ourselves. What, what is my contribution to this? What are the patterns? What, are the, what is the old clothes that I'm wearing? That are, what is the log in my eye? That, that is contributing to this problem. What are my hangups here, mm. right? To examine, examine those and take time to turn away from those. And then asking God to renew our minds so that we can try to understand what mm. the other person has gone through, understand their position, to listen, to have empathy, right? And then we can put on the new pattern of, of communicating, which is the way of, as it says right here, be kind, compassionate, Forgiving each other as Christ Oof. forgave 
you. So those are the ways that we address. Mm -hmm. We we are kind when we address things. We're compassionate, trying to seek to understand the position they're in, and then lead with grace, Mm -hmm. with forgiveness. If there's anything to forgive, lead with that grace. Because honesty devoid of relationship is abuse. Yeah. And That's I true. think this is this is what you're calling us to. And I think for Adventists, um, this is a particularly thorny passage to read mm. because in our religious DNA, there is the idea that division doesn't imply failure. Division implies purity, Mm -hmm. right? We've had these conversations for a long time about how the remnant is going to occur because there's this shaking. And so that sometimes gives us permission to be honest, brutally honest, hurtfully honest, abusively honest. And if you leave, well, then you leave. This is what needs to happen Mm -hmm. in order for God's true church to emerge. And so I think because our DNA, our our religious and our faith story is punctuated by this idea that division has to occur in order to purify us, um, I think think that sometimes makes uh, the the standard that Paul is at is inviting us to, which is, hey, how are you building up the whole? Um, I think that sometimes gets lost because it, it it doesn't jive with kind of how we've traditionally viewed our story. I I would then say purity doesn't imply division or separation or how many people fall away in order to get the elite. I think purity demands how am I able to restrain these these impulses that I have uh, to not act in these ways that you're talking about because I'm uncomfortable with what you're doing. Yes. And I think that's real purity. Am I able wow. to am I able to control my desires and my discomforts mm-hmm. in order to allow you to have a place in this community for the sake of unity? Is that might that be a better analogy for purity, perhaps? Yeah. And that kind of reminds me of what um, Dr. McVeigh wrote on in Fridays, hmm. which was powerful for me because I don't think he intended it this way when he says, um, how would your congregation change if you and each member were to take and live a pledge consisting of such statements as the following? And I'm going to read them in, in a moment, but... When he said pledge, my mind immediately went to baptismal vow. Mm-hmm. Because we we have these baptismal vows in the Adventist church that talk about our beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Which are important. We've said Paul spends so much time on beliefs. And yet for Paul and for James and, and for Jesus, belief was always in, uh, connected to behavior, mm-hmm. right? To practice, right? And so what if in, instead of just focusing on pledging to beliefs, we also pledge to practices mm-hmm. like I wish for my influence within the Seventh-day Adventist family and beyond to be positive, uplifting, faith-building, and morale-boosting. Bu- uh, uh, Recalling Christ's calls for unity and love, I will expend more energy affirming those doings and saying things I believe to be good than in pointing out the failings of those I believe to be wrong. When I disagree with someone, 
I will make my respect for my fellow believers clear. I will assume his or her integrity and commitment to Christ. I will offer my differing opinion gently, not stridently. I will live joyfully, looking for every opportunity to build up and affirm my fellow church members as I wait the return of Christ. What if we all made this the focus and commitment of our lives to do this? I mean, how would that transform the church? How much more unity would be brought up instead of division? That's the invitation, I think. And I'm so glad that you closed with that because that's exactly where, where we were going to finish with that idea that when A, I will spend more time talking about the things that are happen that I agree with and that I think are good and beautiful about my community rather than the things I disagree with. But when I disagree with someone... How how beautiful was uh, that that preamble that he gave? Yeah. I will assume their integrity, yeah. and I will present my differing my differing option in gentleness. We're not. I don't think Dr. McVeigh. I don't think Paul. I don't think James. I don't think Jesus. I don't think you are asking anyone to capitulate. Mm -hmm. What no. you're asking people isn't to capitulate. It's to care. Yes. Yes. Amen. Pray for us, Joey. Oh, God, we want to thank you for being a God who cares, who cares so deeply about us that you were willing to sacrifice so much to come to this earth, to live, to die among us, and to be resurrected, to give us hope for something better. You took the more challenging road of sacrifice, but in doing so, you brought unity to your family. Lord, help us to follow in your footsteps to care is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God keep you and bless you until we meet again. Have a wonderful rest of the week and a blessed Sabbath.